This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority, the designated investment business, and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed. Hi, I'm Nick Searle, a member of the Zeus Equity Sales Team and host of A Different Perspective. Here we interview interesting characters from the world of business and finance and uncover a different perspective. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts or contact me at live at zeuscapital.co.uk. It's Thursday, 23rd of November. With me today, I have Edwin Brenning-Kamaya. Edwin started his career at his family business and is now founder and CEO of Oriens Aviation. Edwin, good morning. Good morning, Nick. Thank you so much for being here. It's, it's lovely to see you. pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, as my regular listeners know, I'd like to start with a bit of background. Um, can we talk a little bit about the, the family business and how you joined? Of course, of course. Um, so the family business has been around since 1841, so very well-established retail business. Um, I joined when I was 19, so took one gap year out of school, joined the family business, um, then went to university, and then came back to the business. In the UK, or where's the business That was in, in, so the business is worldwide. So I was working in Cologne, in Germany, so that also gave me a um, different cultural perspective. You know, I, I, luckily I do speak German, so I was able to brush up my German a bit when I was there and learn some German and also work in the business at the same time. Um, So I got a, a, a grounding in business when I was, before I went to university, when I was at the family business, and then went back to it afterwards. So university, where did you study? Went to Durham. Yeah. And a good three years at Durham? Wonderful three years at Durham, absolutely. I, 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 t- I guess technically I was a mature student, although that's laughable. I was yeah. 21 when I joined. So. But, uh, and I had a wonderful time in Durham. I think having worked, you know, out, having not gone straight from school to university was a help. I think it does give you a bit more maturity and a different, a different outlook on life mm-hmm. and the world. So, yeah, that definitely helped. And then... Back into the family business after that? Back into the family business, that's right, yep. And how long did you stay there? So I was there, let's see, so actually initially I was, so I was back in the family business but working at KPMG Consulting, so that was the first thing I did after university. Uh, and that would have been around 99, 2000, 2001, that sort of time. Um, that was consultancy and again it was very much part of the family business program to work externally and get some experience outside the business again to bring an outside perspective back into the business Um, then I worked in the family business uh, until around about 2006 was when I left and I was in yeah mostly in retail um, but also a little bit in venture capital as well because I was very passionate about aviation Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a nascent uh, industry or uh, an emerging sort of innovation that was taking place within that sector in the mid-2000s that I wanted to explore. Uh, and I was very fortunate to be able to do so from from the venture capital side of the business. And does did the family business have any aviation retail exposure? Or no, absolutely none. No. So I was I was the only one who, um, who was interested in aviation. So it was a, a bit of a bold move. Um, but at the time, there were a confluence of three things that were happening in the industry. So um, the power plants were becoming more cost-effective. The manufacturing technique was also improving and becoming more cost-effective. And also the electronics on the cockpit, what we call the avionics, 
was also becoming more cost effective. And so some very smart and savvy tech entrepreneurs um, jumped on this and they said, well, as every entrepreneur does, if he sees things happening in the market, says, well, we can put all these things together and create a very cost effective jet that costs less than $1 million. Yeah. Um, so that was, that's how I joined the VC. And was it hard to leave the family business? Is it, was it normal for people to leave the family business? So the VC was the family business. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't yet left. Yeah. So this was I was still very much part of the family business. Did you have to go and put a business plan to, to sort of absolutely, that absolutely, yeah. of course. There had to be. A, there had to be. A, um, I, I think you know VC is also about exploring the unknown, and of course that's not a traditional VC investment. Um, but it seemed like a good opportunity to at least explore the industry and to learn about it. Um, and really, that's when I came to the crossroads. At that point, it was for me, well, do I continue in VC and continue with traditional VC-type investments in the family business or do it on my own thing and go in aviation? And so for better or worse, I chose the latter and decided to work in aviation. And I think, uh, was it difficult to leave the family business? Well, yes, clearly it was difficult, um, but also no, because... It wasn't scorned upon. I mean, had other, had other brothers or cousins left the family business very much so very much so i I think you know there was well there still is very much the expectation that if you're in the family business you you run it and you lead it and that's so important that you're deeply deeply passionate about what you're doing you know to run and lead a business um i didn't enjoy shopping i'll be honest i mean i learned a lot in the family business um but i always had this strong yearning and desire to be in aviation and that was my passion um, and I'd learned a lot in the family business. I'd learned a lot about people management um, and about you know, how to lead a company and how to lead a business. Um, I'd learned about entrepreneurship, you know, yeah. venture capital, and then I wanted to apply that in aviation. So how did you make that leap from, from VC to, to aviation? Well, a lot of the business plans that we looked at in VC weren't really investable. Um, they were written too, by... Even too early stage for VC? No, not, not, no, even to VC. A lot of the business plans were written by pilots who are very well trained as pilots. Yep. Um, perhaps didn't have the, the, the schooling and the background that I was fortunate enough to have you know, in business. So they, they weren't really investable business plans. Um, so that's how really I was able to use that opportunity to advise these companies. I set up a, a, my own consultancy. Um, and that was my springboard. Uh, I, was, I was on the board of a lot of these companies uh, it certainly was very much apparent that scale was important to cover the fixed cost base, the regulatory fixed cost mm-hmm. base, a lot of these businesses. Try to adver- advise them to, to merge and to, and to scale through, through merger. Uh, was also involved with a much larger business in the UK, and we separated an airport out of that business. It was one of the largest family businesses in the UK. So that was the segue. So it's from, from the VC and from having networked with a lot of these companies, I yeah. then moved to advising them. And was it all... I guess all they were mostly early stage. Have any come to great fruition yet? Those were all early stage, and uh, I would say most of them have actually fallen by the wayside, mm-hmm. with two exceptions, maybe more actually, two or three exceptions, let's say. But um, there's one that I'm still investing in in the US, and that's completely changed its model. So I'd say one of my um, sort of big inspirations actually is the CEO of that company because he's such a good entrepreneur and he was able to redefine and, and change that business model and, and turn it. So did, he, did he see a change in the market and then he was able to pivot? He did. I think we all did jointly. So we were obviously all on the board, um, but he did, yes. I mean, he, he, he was flexible enough to realize that he needed to pivot and that it you know, perhaps wasn't working as he, as he originally thought. Um, and he pivoted very successfully. 
There is another operator in Europe that's still around, and they they're they're doing very well. I mean, they've got uh, I believe twenty five aircraft now, so they've they've got that scalable business. But it's it's a tough business. It's a very tough business. And then was it a broad spectrum of businesses within aviation? So not just manufacturing, but obviously you mentioned the airport. Are there different are there different service parts of of the aviation industry that you were serving, or is it just solely on? focused on, on aircraft and, and building new aircraft? It wasn't actually building so much because it was, again, we weren't really investing as a VC, we weren't investing in building airplanes yeah. because it's so capital intense. We were looking more at uh, the operating model, so operating these aircraft. Okay. Um, so yes, I was pr- I was most heavily involved with the operation of, the, of these aircraft, um, advising them on that front. But also airports. So I also did an MBA at Oxford University as well, um, and that I, I really focused on airports and how airports make money. I was very interested in the infrastructure. It became yeah. very apparent yeah. to me that you know that, that, that operating aircraft is a very high fixed cost base. Yes. Um, and and part of the challenge of that is the infrastructure and the, and the airport infrastructure specifically. Yes. And it struck me that that European airports are different from U.S. airports. So how can you make the airport make money so it doesn't have to overcharge the operator? That's kind yeah. of the premise, and that's yeah. what I looked at. So I advised airports as well. I guess it goes back to your roots, more retail maybe. Maybe, yeah, exactly. I think maybe that was the, that was the background, and that's, that's what I looked at. But I think I was always drawn to, to entrepreneurship. I just loved, and, and of course, you can be an entrepreneur in a big company, and I'm not saying that you can't. But you know, when, when I was a buyer in the retail business, I was always fascinated by some of the suppliers that we worked yeah. with that you know, set up their own... Uh, their own company and their own business and it just there's something about it that I just just resonated and I loved entrepreneurship no, that makes sense and I think you probably wanted to to plow your own furrow as it were. you That's wanted it. to get out and do your own thing so so if we bring it up to modern times how does your aviation business now work and what's the premise so we we spotted the opportunity or I spotted the opportunity in 2004 14, 15, that's when I started the company, uh, there was currently no dealer for that particular product. So we are a Pilatus distributor. We're also Technam, which I'll come on to later as well. But at the time, we were just Pilatus. Um, what are the benefits of Pilatus planes? So Pilatus, are, I'd say that the, the number one thing on this podcast, which is of, of, of interest, is the residual value of the yeah. aircraft. They have a very different philosophy about how they build their aircraft and how they work with local partners such as ourselves. Um, and, the, and the way that well, we can go into more detail on that if you're interested, but, but essentially what that means is that Pilatus get their production volumes right, which means they don't flood the, air, the, uh, the market with too many assets that have to be discounted, which destroys the residual value of the customer's assets. And that's why the value is kept so high. Are they therefore pre-ordered and only made on spec? Or so sorry, we order them. Order. So we take all the risk. Okay. So we, we have to know our market very well. So that's how the, it's called, we're called a full stocking dealer. Yep. So we take all the risk. We order the airplanes from Pilatus. So we're effectively a Pilatus customer. Uh, what we do with them is our problem. You know, Pilatus was sold it to us as far as yeah. they're concerned. So we then have to sell it at a, at a retail price. You know, we, we purchase it at a, at a wholesale price. But if I came to buy a new plane, would I have to wait two years until it was built? Or is there, do you keep stock ready to go? No, we uh, we currently don't have any stock. It, it depends. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the, the, the start of COVID was a very difficult time for us. We had two aircraft in stock. Yeah. Um, the phone wasn't ringing. Um, so sometimes we do have aircraft in stock. We generally like to keep one demonstrator, but yeah. the market is so strong at the moment that we don't have any aircraft in stock. So, yes, I mean, you're right. Two so years. So post, post-COVID, the market has really rebounded, I guess. Unprecedented. Unprecedented. Yeah. I'd say probably... 
the mid 2000s and I wasn't selling airplanes in those days but certainly I was looking at the aviation industry um, but the mid mid to late 2000s before the, the crash uh, that's when you know we had similar numbers um, but it, it, it's uh, different times now than it than it was then yeah. you know I think also um, the downturn is different I think the downturn in 2007 and 8 affected everybody more than than currently you know I think a, a lot of yes. our customers are still able to afford aircraft um, and I think having experienced the difficulties of COVID um, and, and uh, you know, 90% of people can actually, who can afford to fly privately, choose not to. Yeah. So in COVID, a lot of those people moved to private aviation for the first time and they're hooked. And yeah. that's why we've seen yeah. this resurgence. I can, I can, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Even just going through airports post-COVID, I can imagine why people would, would prefer not, not to do that. I think, yeah, if I, if I may, I think, I think the... Um, um, if you look at an average journey in Europe that involves an airline and you take the door-to-door yeah. journey, so the whole journey, the average speed is something like between 65 and 70 miles an hour. And I did a trip recently on an airline from Dublin. And I think, I went, okay, it was delayed, to be fair. But a lot of airlines are delayed. And I think it was something something like 35 miles an hour yeah. average speed. It's yeah. unbelievable. And it's the ability not only to be able to go on your own schedule and go where you want, but it's the multiple stop business trips, right. you know, the yeah. multiple legs. Yeah. And that's what you can't really replicate by airline, especially if you're going to a location that's that's away from a major international hub. So how much would I have to have in the bank account then to, to buy a plane from you? So uh, so we started off with Pilatus. We now also sell Technam products. So most of the Technams are flight school aircraft. So those are the lowest cost airplanes. So they start at around 125,000 euros mm-hmm. um, for a two-seat training aircraft. Um, a Pilatus aircraft, you're looking at um, just over $6 million, everything's in US dollars, for a PC-12. That's the smaller of the two aircraft that we sell. Um, and the PC-24 is around $13.5 million US dollars. How far could I go with, with the first one and how many people can I take? The, the Technam, the little no, training no, no, aircraft, no, or the no, Pilatus? The Pilatus, Pilatus. Pilatus. So the Pilatus, um, you can fly... 1,600 nautical miles in a PC-12. So you can fly anywhere in Europe. The beauty of that is that you can also choose where you refuel. So if you're flying privately, and in a lot of countries, you have to pay tax for fuel. So you can actually say, we fly to Switzerland, we don't have to refuel when we go to Switzerland. That's the benefit of that. Um, And the jet is about 2,000 nautical miles, so a little bit further. You can't, I mean, we do get customers that that do use the aircraft to go to the US, but they would have to stop. And that's definitely not the sweet spot of the aeroplanes anywhere in, in Europe, really. And how many planes a year do you sell? So that really varies. Um, we, at the moment, we would like more airplanes from Pilatus. So that's that's our challenge at the moment is getting enough aircraft from Pilatus because demand is very, very high. So we sell between three and five PC-12s a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sell, at the moment, two PC-24s. Uh, it's a relatively new product, and we believe we can easily scale that up to three. Um, but the issue is is getting enough aircraft from Pilatus. Um, Pilatus are, are very committed to building a quality product. I've referred to you know the, the residual value yes. of the asset before. Yeah. What they don't want to do is overproduce yeah. and destroy customers' residual value. So at the moment, they are underproducing. Normally, they get it right. They get it spot on. But they're committed to producing a very high-quality product, and that's why the numbers aren't what they are. And then how would that compete against other manufacturers of planes that can go the same sort of distance and carry the same sort of people? So the, the PC-12 is very niche. Um, it's the only single-engine turbine of that size. So it's the, it's the largest cabin for the best value, if you yep. like, that can land on grass, and there's nothing else like it. So that's very, very unique. 
The nearest competitor would probably be the King Air, which is a twin-engine turboprop. It's, it costs more. Um, you also get smaller single-engine turboprops, which just don't have the, the, the cabin volume. And surprisingly, they don't have the short field capability. Even though they're smaller, yeah. they can't get into as short a strip as the, as the Pilatus PC-12. So the PC-12 is a little bit on its own. Uh, the, the jet, the PC-24, is unique in the, in the cabin size. So the cabin size is more comparable to a mid-sized jet that would cost sort of $14, $15 million upwards. Um, the operating economics are similar to a light jet, which is something like a, a you know maybe a Phenom 300, mm-hmm. uh, which would be about $10 million, you know, some, some, somewhere along those lines. Um, but you get the, the, the benefit of that aircraft is also very short field performance. So you can also land yes. almost turboprop performance. Yeah. And then many owner drivers, or do you find that it? Yeah, there are. There are, there are for the for more for the turboprop than for yeah. the jet. Um, it, it's it's yeah, I, you know, the, the people people do move up, I and mean, we're also a, a Cirrus service center as well. So Cirrus, we don't sell Cirrus aircraft, um, but we are a service center, and that's fantastic because people that buy a, a Cirrus, they have an aspiration to move up to a larger aircraft, yeah. um, and the PC12 is ideal for them. So they they. They learn in a Technam, that's yep. their starting point. Yep. Then they move up to a Cirrus, um, and then they move to the PC-12 or the PC-24. But the vast majority of customers don't fly themselves. And you see the long-term fundamentals for the private aviation business likely to continue to grow, I guess, as a response to COVID? I do. I, I, think, I think the market is very strong. I think we, as an industry need to be and are very focused on how we can make it more sustainable in the future. Um, and I think we're at a, a very exciting time now. We're really at the cusp of a lot of innovation um, and a lot of excitement. And I think that gives aviation entrepreneurs a real opportunity. So I think that's the challenge is, is how, do we, how do we make these aircraft more sustainable? You know, the technology isn't yet there. You know, we do have electric aircraft flying. But you know, until the battery technology is there, until we can develop hydrogen as a as a as a you know source of fuel for, for these power plants, that will take a little bit more time. So I mean, did we discussed this in our in our pre chat, but the whole idea of range anxiety for for an aeroplane is you know on a different level, I'd imagine, than than in your Tesla. Yeah, that there's there's no there should never be anxiety when you're flying. Everything is very very safe, and there are lots and lots of of you know. Um, regulatory safety factors built in um so there's, there's never any anxiety but yes there's definitely a range issue for sure <laughs> and um so, and yeah. lithium batteries i guess w- wouldn't really work for mainstream commercial i'm not an expert on on the technology to be honest but i i my understanding is that, that we're still a long way a long way away from from producing a, a, a lightweight enough battery that can mm. that can deliver that sort of power uh, you know i think Best guess is really the technology will be there at the end of the 2020s. So we've okay. still got you know, a few years to go. Um, I think it's going to take longer than people hope. But there are some front runners who are, who are making good progress. Oh, there are. Absolutely. Uh, there, there are lots of very innovative, uh, innovative companies doing this. Um, training aircraft especially. You know, very, very short range aircraft. Um, and I'm personally exploring this as well. So I have yeah. an investment in, a, in an electric aviation startup, which is my personal investment. And, and that's really gives me an opportunity to to learn effectively you know I, I believe this particular aircraft is very lightweight mm-hmm. so because of its lightweight it enjoys a little bit more regulatory freedom than the larger aircraft and that's the benefit so you can really get proof of concept with a lighter weight product below 600 kilos test that first give the aviation authorities confidence in the yeah. product and then scale it up now that makes a lot of sense so what do you think you've learned f- Edwin from from running your own business what have I learned from running my own business um, 
I think the key, and Warren Buffett has said this, I, I know you've had a, a speaker on here in the past, but you've got to love what you're doing. Yeah. I think that's so important. You've got to enjoy it. And you've got to be passionate about it. Um, I think you've got to, again, as Warren Buffett said, you know, hire people that are better than you. But I think it's more than that. I think it's, it's really knowing what your strengths are. Um, and that's the fun part. You know, that's the fun part because well, finding out what they are, or actually, yeah. or actually leveraging what they it's are. It's both. It's it's you know, I, I generally your strengths are what you enjoy doing the most. Yeah, and that's the most yeah. that's the most rewarding thing. And I, I you know, I learned that fairly early in my career as well. Is if if you, you know, know yourself, um, if you know what your strengths are and you leverage them, you can be excellent. If you learn to make your weaknesses better, mm -hmm. the best you can ever be is good. And it's yeah. incredibly frustrating because you're doing something you don't enjoy. Yeah. So you need to manage your weaknesses, know them, manage them, build a team around you who can actually complement, you know, your strengths, but really focus on your strengths and, and work on them, you know, really work on them. And it takes patience. You know, I think, it, you know, you can be very lucky. And yes, there are, you know, in the VC world, we call them unicorns. I mean, mm -hmm. there are these companies that, that, that are very, very successful very quickly, but they're rare. Yeah. It takes a lot of hard work and it, it does take time to, you know, to, to build. But again, if you enjoy it and you love it and it's your passion, it's, it's a, a wonderful journey. So may, maybe you don't want to comment, but are there any glaring mistakes that you wish you hadn't made and now can rectify? Obviously, mistakes mean a wonderful way that we all grow. Oh, many, 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 many. I, I couldn't even count them on one hand. I think um, um, I think part of being an entrepreneur, you, you have to embrace failure. You have to. You know, it's the only way. I think, I think a, a lot of the time failure is frowned upon, but I think failure is so important to to learn um, and you can learn from your mistakes and, and, and grow and develop them. So, you know, the first mistake maybe was investing in in, uh, in the very light jet industry at the time. I mean, that, that would looked a very, very promising industry um, and a lot of wonderful opportunities came out of that, came out of that investment. And I wouldn't have had those opportunities had I not made that first step. Yeah. Um, finding the right people, finding finding good staff, you know, getting getting a, a good team in place. I mean, that that takes a long time. I guess you are in a in a somewhat niche sector, so therefore, I would imagine most of your employees are also as passionate about aviation as, as you are. They are absolutely. No, they all have the passion. But I think it's important. I mean, this is something else that that you know that that um, I'm I'm personally very very passionate about is is really creating. Uh, a, a very ethical business and yep. I, I know what is an ethical business it's, it's a it's a business that that provides a service so it puts people first and it's long-term value long-term so, so value creation customers and employees and uh, suppliers yep. uh, everyone so yep. everyone that touches the business um, you know it's, it's, it has to be people centric you have to remind yourself as a business you're there to provide a service um, and you have to do that very very well you know you, you, you really have to put the, the the person at the center of the business provide a service and think long term i think that's the key thing as well it's about long-term value creation an example uh you know i i mentioned that that covid was a tough time we yeah. had two aircraft in stock um you know the temptation was enormous to sell that aircraft mm -hmm. to the first person that comes through the door and no, you know, that's not what we're about. I'm sorry, Mr. Customer, this aeroplane is, is not for you. I hate to say this, but, you know, we'd love to sell you the aeroplane, but we think you would be better on a different aircraft. Yeah. Um, and that's tough and that takes courage to do. But hopefully, five years later, they come back and say, you know what? You're honest with me. I respect that and I appreciate that. And I want to do business with you again. And I think that's long-term value creation is so, so key. And, I, and also your customer base, I can imagine due to the nature of having that much disposable income and maybe wanting a jet can be very demanding. 
They're very demanding. They are very demanding. And I mean, I have to say, um, I had a phone call two days ago. I'm, I'm just implementing um, uh, the culture in our business. I'm implementing a framework for doing ethical business and, and really um, making very concrete what we always said we do, but now we need to make it concrete. So I'm in the middle of that process now. We had a customer two days ago that called us and, and he was incredibly frustrated. Um, he wasn't our customer. Hopefully he will be our customer. Yep. He bought another aircraft and had uh, many, many disappointments with maintenance and with various things, you know, also how the aircraft was operated, how it was managed. You know, he wasn't treated fairly. He was lied to, blah, 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 blah. He was incredibly frustrated. Um, and, and, uh, and yeah, that, that's why, again, I come back to doing business ethically. It's so important to do things right. Customers, I think I've experienced, can be somewhat jaded. Yes, they haven't had that experience of of, of working with a um, a partner they really trust. So I think that's the the first step is we have to earn their trust, and that that you know it, selling airplanes is a, is a relationship business. It's all about people. It really is. It's you know it's it's um, uh, it is an economic and financial decision to buy an airplane, and and it can really add um, value in terms of reducing travel time, making a business more productive. But it's also an emotional purchase. And we have to earn that customer's trust uh, and, and build that reputation. Again, it takes time. It's long-term value creation. Okay. Now, that makes an awful lot of sense because it's, um, you know, it's taking that relationship now, which hopefully can prosper for, for many years exactly. to come. Exactly. That's it. And are there other sort of ethical points that you'd like to implement in the business? There are many. Um, you know, I, I think at the moment, as I said, I think we're very fortunate that... Um, that we're already doing it. Um, but I think what we haven't done is we haven't defined it. And I'd be very arrogant if I, if I thought that we were doing it in all areas, because I'm sure we're not. So what I did is I've, I've read quite a few very interesting books, um, summarized those books in, in, in some slides, presented those slides to the management team. They loved it. They got it. They loved it. Said, we need to be doing this. So now I presented it to the whole company. The key now is the implementation. Mm -hmm. So talk is great. Yep. But now, you know, we're, we're organizing workshops and I'll be personally following up with every single person in the business to make sure that they send feedback of, you know, the Orion's way. How do we do this? How, how will we differentiate ourselves? And I think that's going to be a key differentiator for, for us from our competition by doing things ethically, by thinking long term, by creating long term value. Um, what are we not doing? What should we be doing? And what will be the Orion's way? And then we need to set standards and define that. So we're currently in that process. Um, so, yeah. And then will you manage customers' aircraft for them as well? We do everything. So we, we, we um, so really what I, what I did was I replicated the American business model, very successful businesses in the US that have done it for a long time. So we sell the airplanes, mm -hmm. we maintain them. So we're factory authorized service center, and we also manage the customers' aircraft. And this is a, the, the latest um, sort of business, if you like, that we've set up within the group um, is flight ops. We call it flight operations, where... Uh, we can do everything from the lightest touch where, you know, you, you fly the airplane yourself yep. and you want very light touch management because you want to look after the airplane, but we'll tell you when it's due for maintenance or if any special notices come from the manufacturer yep. saying you need to do this or do that. So we, we can take care of that for you and you can just enjoy flying the airplane right the way through to you don't fly the airplane. You've bought it as an asset, but you want it to work for you yes. and we can actually charter it out to third parties as well. So we provide the full suite of services. So if you, if you don't want to buy an airplane, you could also charter one of our aircraft. If you want to sample it and fly from London to Paris, you could do that as well. And so how many airplanes do you have in your charter books? We have three at the moment, um, but we only started in January, February. Yeah. So still early days for us. But yeah, we have three. 
Correct. I mean, I can imagine most owners would like to sweat their asset if they can, I would have thought. Absolutely. I no. mean, is there a plane a bit like a car that it needs to be used? It does. It does. Yeah, I mean, typically we advise our owners that if you're flying up to 50 hours a year, you're much better off chartering. You don't yeah. need an aircraft. Um, between 50 and 150 hours or 200 hours, um, you're looking at a fractional, a share mm -hmm. in an aircraft and oh. net jets, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Uh, or Jetfly, you know, they're, they're the operator in, in, uh, in our part of the world for, for our aircraft. Um, and then after sort of 150 to 200 hours, you're better off purchasing an aircraft yes. outright. Yeah. And yes, if you're only flying 200 hours a year, you can charter it out for 400 hours a year. Yeah. Um, and then you don't have to pay VAT because then your aircraft is being used commercially. So there's no VAT on the aircraft as well. On the so purchase price or... On the purchase price, correct. Oh, that's interesting. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But you can also fly, I mean, if you can also charter your own aircraft as well. Yep. So that way the aircraft 100% yep. of the time is always being chartered out, yes. even to the owner. Yep. So that's another way of doing it. So there are various structures, but that is another benefit is that, you know, there's no need to, to pay VAT in that case. So. Well, interesting. Lots of opportunities. Although, unfortunately, I think a little bit out of my price range <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> but, but you never know. You never well, know. come and charter. Come and charter. Get hooked and then we'll help you get into, you know, fractional and you never know. But yeah. No, certainly Mrs. Yeah. Sarr would be, I think... I think she has a vision of private aviation being her being her her, her, her aspiration actually. I think, but anyway. Yeah. Well, so it's all very interesting. So how does how does the how does the how do you see your business growing? Is it all down to that service level and that commitment to your customer, and then it it resonates everything resonates from there. Short answer to that is is yes, but there's more. So it's yes and. Um, um, I really believe that that, that that service and that long-term value creation is absolutely key. And I think if we can deliver that service, um, uh, really deliver that service, really think of the, of, the, of the good of the customer, you know, be 95% obsessed with costs, but 5% of the time just go crazy. You know, things that cost nothing. You know, there's an example I read in a book of a, a real estate agent who, you know, when, when the occupier moved into their house, he stocked the fridge up with his favorite food. He knew yeah. what the favorite food was, put a list of dry cleaners, you know, on, on the fridge. Yeah. Little things like that that really add value. And you think, well, what does this person actually, what, what's their problem? How can I help them, you know, and go above and beyond? So that's very, very important. I think also innovation. Um, and this is partly why we're working with Technam. So Technam are a very innovative Italian company. Um, they have a partnership with Rolls-Royce. Uh, they're looking at developing, also looking at developing electric aircraft in the future. They have a hybrid model, uh, again, in partnership with Rolls-Royce, uh, which, which is you know, providing the, the electric power plant for the aircraft. Um, and what I love about Technam is, is they're innovative, but safe. So they're an established manufacturer. Yeah. If there's a delay or it doesn't work out for whatever reason, they have traditional aircraft they can fall back on. So it de-risks the whole operation uh, of, of manufacturing you know, and sort of exploring that innovation. Um, so that's what I, I, I'm hoping to learn from Technam, from you know this this personal investment of mine. Um, and as I said before, I think we're at the cusp of of, of a lot of innovation in this industry, and you know, something very very exciting. Uh, and it's it's the old analogy of of how to make money in a in a gold rush is to sell yep. the shovels. Yep. What are the shovels? You know what what is that is that one thing that that everybody needs that nobody thinks about. And we're a service provider. You know, we yes. provide maintenance. We have resources internally. You know, there's probably something that, that we could do to leverage that. And that's exciting. So that's, that's where the, the entrepreneurship comes back into it. And also, your, your, best, your best marketing campaign is your existing client base. It is. Yeah. Personal references, I guess, mean so much. And yeah. I'm sure that it's very 
wealthy individuals must talk among themselves about who who looks after their planes well and who doesn't. It's a very, very small world. Aviation is a small world. You know, the, the, the people in the aviation business, there are not that many around, so that's a small world. But also the customers, as you say, yeah. they know each other. There is a network. We do get a lot of referrals as well from customers. Um, this particular customer I mentioned, who contacted, contacted us two days ago, heard about us, heard about our positive reputation, and that's why he got in touch, you know, because he thought, I, I need to find somebody who can who I can trust, who's going to be honest and who can really look after my aircraft properly. So how many people in your business currently? So at the moment, we're between 35 and 40. Um, we're continuing to grow. Our biggest challenge at the moment and our biggest barrier to growth is, is, is engineering staff. So is that technical staff? Correct. We could be doing far more maintenance and far more aircraft, um, but it's finding, it's finding um, the right staff. It's not just, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the right kind of, of, of person. You know, we, we do provide a very high-end service. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not afraid to charge a bit more, yep. maybe, than some others, um, but we, we have to provide the value. That's important. Um, and, and to find the right caliber of people is, is challenging at the moment. And why is that? Is it, again, is that on the back of increased demand? It's it's a great question. I don't honestly know the answer. I ask myself that question every day. Um, it's since COVID. Yep. There's been a massive increase in demand for engineers. I think a lot of engineers have left the industry. So I think due to COVID, they've, they've just left, they've retired, they've stopped working, and that's created a vacuum. We're not seeing that yet with pilots on this side of the pond. In America, there is a pilot shortage. Um, we're not seeing that yet here. But engineers is a massive problem. And I think also, the, the especially the older engineers who have the skill, they just stop working after COVID yeah. or during COVID, yeah. and, and we yeah. just can't get them back. Mm. So there's a yeah. big vacuum. And then again, getting, getting younger people on board is great. But at the moment, we need, we need skilled certifying staff. Yes. Once we have that, that yeah. platform in place, then we can start to, to increase, the, you know, do more apprenticeship programs and bring in more young staff. And How difficult it is to service different models? You know, are technicians able to work across all models, or is there a... A big difference. Uh, generally, an aeroplane is an aeroplane still. So I think you know in the future um, it might get more complicated, yeah. but they're still all airframes. So um, the the power plant is highly complex. That tends to get outsourced. So we don't do any power plant overhauls. So that's very specialist, and we don't do that. So what's left is essentially an airframe, and they're pretty similar. What's happening though is aircraft are getting far more electronic, so the yes. avionics is, is evolving. I guess like our cars. Exactly. So you know, for, so something like um, a, a PC12 or a PC24, which is very very sophisticated electronically, you you do need to have some some computer knowledge, um, and just simple things like knowing how to how to download things onto a laptop and yeah. upload them onto an airplane and things like that, yeah. which is. You know, again, the older the older mechanics probably wouldn't have that skill. So yes. That's why they can be complemented yeah. by the younger mechanics as well. So it's yeah. So it sounds like a you know, great opportunity in a great industry with a lot of change. I think so. Yeah, I think it's I think it's very exciting. I think you know, for me now, the next step is 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 the entrepreneurial side, and I think that's that's the that's the exciting thing. I think we have um, we have a, a solid foundation, a solid platform now. Um, as I said, we just have a new business. The flight operations is new. We need to get yep. that to break even. Uh, and now it's time, you know, once that's once that's breaking even, and once that's solid, we can then be entrepreneurial and look and look to the future. And that that entrepreneurialness is that a addition addition of new services? Is there a way that you could, I hate the word sweat, but I think leverage your customers in a in a better way? Would you go into 
into yacht management or or, or no or, no i don't think we do that property management what how would no we stick to what we know i mean we're definitely aviation experts and that's where our expertise is um but y- 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 it's, a, it's a good question i mean we are in a mature market and it's relatively saturated it's not it's not a saturated market but it's relatively saturated yeah. um, and it's a mature market so you know that the path to growth really is is acquisition so being inquisitive okay. and so, acquiring so new companies what would you buy would it would it be that maybe new technology that you would look at or yeah, what, what absolutely would, what definitely would you buy? consider would new technology anything that's 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 um that's related to what we currently provide so, so for example flight training would be a natural yes. next step for us yeah. um you know some maintenance facility that we don't currently have that's complementary to what we're already doing or some some other avenue of maintenance or maybe another dealership or distributorship yeah. anything along those lines that's complementary to what we're currently doing helicopters possibly possibly helicopters as well absolutely yeah and certainly something that we consider it's again it's it's quite different to what we currently do yeah. um so uh it's really a question whether the team has enough expertise and knowledge i mean if you if you acquire that business then that comes with knowledge and expertise yes. but then also yeah. the culture has to fit so there's also yes. challenges that are associated with that as well one of our previous guests had a helicopter training school interesting okay uh, <laughs> it's a very different business i think helicopters are also very cost intensive yeah um, you know the, the, the maintenance of helicopters is 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 much more onerous than fixed wing. Um, so yeah, I think interesting business for maintenance for sure. Indeed, yeah. and I guess hi- again, like the like all aviation, highly regulated. It is very highly regulated. Yeah, which which leads to recurring revenue for businesses like yours. Yeah, I think it's you know I think um, maintenance for sure there is recurring revenue. Also flight training. I mean, yeah. if you look at um, you know Warren Buffett. Um, you know, Flight Safety International is um, is, is Berkshire Hathaway, yeah. um, and they, you know, pilots keep coming back for a currency training, uh, yes. and it's great yeah. revenue. And they sweat those; they really do sweat those simulators very, very hard. And it's just just generating revenue all the time. So it's another another interesting area. And I think again, you know, looking at, at the future of aviation, I think it's 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 identifying what somebody's not already doing. That's the key, mm-hmm. and, and having first mover advantage and, and, and getting in there first which involves risk, absolutely yeah. involves risk. And I think that's why it's important to have a stable platform to start from. Yeah, it makes a, it makes an awful lot of sense. Edwin, do you fly yourself? I do. I, 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 I'm very, very passionate about flying. You know, I started flying uh, when I was 14. I was very fortunate. Um, I always, ever since I can remember, I always, you know, when I was a small child, I always thought, well, we live in a three-dimensional world, but we yeah. only move in two dimensions. For me, yeah. it was obvious. I just, I just had to fly, and I can't, I can't explain it any other way. So I'm I'm very very passionate aviator and I, I love flying absolutely. Um, and what do you fly currently? So a lot of different aeroplanes, anything from vintage aircraft to I do a lot of demo flights on our current aircraft yes. that, that we sell. Um, also fly for the charter business as well, right the way through to vintage fast jets as well. So I'm I'm very privileged to be able to fly uh, ex-military fast jets. Um, so what sort of I'm not a great ex-military jet expert but what sort of jets so that's a a former red arrow so in the 1960s and 70s the red arrows had um, something called the followed nat which was an advanced trainer of of the time um and we 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 try to keep these airplanes flying it's it's um it's a huge labor of love uh it's it's very difficult to to you know from a regulatory point of view to keep them flying and, and and very hard work but so rewarding when we take them to air shows and people see mm-hmm. them. You know, it's it's a heritage asset that people love to see. Um, so it's very rewarding to, to to do that and and just to fly them is just is just an incredible incredibly exhilarating experience. And 
requires a lot of discipline. You know, we have very, very good instructors who are ex-military test pilots. Um, so so to, to, to have access to, to that quality of instruction um, and, to, and to bring that level of, of discipline and, and, um, uh, and, and rigor into your flying and, and to everything, actually, into your whole business. Yeah. I mean, it does yeah. actually translate across. It's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. When does a jet become a vintage jet? That's a great question. I, I would... <laughs> I would say the Red Arrows are probably f- today flying vintage jets. Yeah. I mean, they're flying, you know, the Mark One Hawk, which yeah. goes back to the uh, to 1980, actually, to ni- you know 1979 is when the Nat was replaced with the Hawk. So they're they're quite old aircraft, but still in service. Um, but but aircraft do keep flying. I mean, you, you can, uh, you know, as they're maintained to very high standards. It's it's very strongly regulated, um, and as long as you can buy parts for them, um, they they do keep flying to very high standard. So how many planes do you currently own then? Oh gosh, um, I I have my own little light aircraft, yep. um, and then we have these um, four vintage jets yep. as well. But we own that as a, a as a trust yes. essentially. It's a charity, um, and we run yep. those four aircraft. So, yeah. so very <laughs> noisy weekends, I can imagine. Yeah, well, they're, they're, it's great fun, um, and yes, they're not that noisy. They're actually surprisingly quiet. They're not mm-hmm. that loud. They're not, you know, they they have slightly smaller engines than the sort of the classic jets you'd think yeah. of. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. Excellent. As my regular listeners know, I like to close with three questions. So if I can take one at a time, Edwin, that'd be fantastic. Your greatest inspiration or mentor? Uh, I would say my greatest inspiration or mentor would probably be uh, my uncles in the family business. Uh, And I know that's multiple, but I think that whole ethos, six generations of doing business ethically. And that's that's been my formation and and my background. You know, it, it is possible to do business ethically. It is possible to create a business that, that really delivers value and that, that, that's of service very successfully and very entrepreneurially. Um, uh, that's my biggest inspiration. I have multiple mentors um, for different things and I draw inspiration yeah. from different people for, yeah. you know, for different things, but that's probably the biggest. And I guess the dedication to the customer, which obviously... Absolutely, that's play, key. That's play, key. plays out to your that current yeah. business as well. Yeah. And a book or a book you know, many books that have inspired you. It's very difficult for one, I know. Well, I, I, uh, the one that really inspired me when I was a child is Reach for the Sky, Paul Brickhill. You know, the extraordinary story of Douglas Bader. Yep. Um, I think, you know, being a and little older... Even, even as a schoolboy, learning about the fact that he had a false leg and was still out fighting people. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I... I, I I wouldn't necessarily recommend everything that he did in that book, but I, I think the sheer tenacity, the extraordinary tenacity, the, the extraordinary belief in itself, in himself, you know, his inability to say no. Um, he was a passionate sportsman. He loved mm-hmm. sports. Uh, and then when he had his, his disability, he, he just continued. He found, mm-hmm. he found something else. He found golf. Yeah. Um, and he just would not say no. Even even during the war, he was he was refused multiple times. He wasn't allowed to fly, but he wouldn't take no for an answer. And of course, the war helped. But I just think that tenacity and that resilience and that determination is incredible. So I think, and and of course, he was an aviator. He was a pilot. Yes. Um, so that yeah. resonated with me as well. Um, and then finally, what piece of advice would you give to a young person starting out in their career to follow in your footsteps? I would say really know yourself i know that sounds cliche but i think it's it's very very difficult it's not easy to to really know your strengths um you know to manage your weaknesses but to to know your strengths especially um but it's fun that's the that's the fun part you know to know what you're good at to know to know where you can add value 
um, to have a vision, you know, to have a vision. If, if, you're, if you're a young person who wants to be an entrepreneur, you know, what service are you going to bring? How are you going to improve the world? How are you going to deliver value? And, and, and how can you use your strength to, to do that? And how can you manage your weaknesses to find the right people around you? Um, to have determination. So I think know yourself, have a vision, have determination. Um, don't get put off because it, I think it is a long road. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, people, yeah. I think that's a, a, a misconception, you know, that, that you can make money quickly. It takes a long time, takes a lot of perseverance, takes a lot of work. Do what you're passionate about and you'll get there and you'll have a lot of fun doing it. It's just a wonderful saying, isn't it? Ten years to my overnight success. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And then how can listeners get in touch with you? So we have a, um, a landing page, Orion's Aviation. So www.orions, O-R-I-E-N-S, aviation, all one word, dot com forward slash Zeus. That's our landing page. And that's that's the easiest way to get in touch in the first instance. And I believe we'll have a, a link in the description. Yes, we can do that for sure. Description as well. Absolutely. Edwin, this has been magic. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much, Nick. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Different Perspective, a Zeus podcast. If you'd like to feature on the podcast or get in touch, you can contact me on live at zeuscapital.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.